This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Welcome back to another week of the Breaking Labels podcast. I'm really excited to do this episode because it's something that I have been wanting to talk about for a while, but I kind of wanted to gather my thoughts on it. And also it feels like a very, very appropriate time because, and I recently actually just heard that this is an official term now, but we are currently going through the great resignation, which means there are record numbers of people leaving their jobs uh, and either switching careers, maybe deciding to start their own business. And I think it makes a lot of sense to talk about this because it's something that I didn't realize before I left my previous position. And if you're new to the podcast, I've mentioned it a few times, but you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I actually left my employer of 12 years for, to start a new career. Um, not necessarily a completely different type of career, but I started with a new company. And one of the things that I didn't realize and I didn't anticipate is that when you switch jobs or careers, or even if you go from being an employee to an entrepreneur, your trauma goes with it. The stories that you have been telling yourself about yourself and your value or lack thereof go with you too. So I do want to at least preface this by saying this isn't necessarily me saying, hey, you should definitely leave your job. This is more things that you need to be aware of before making that decision. And, you know, I've talked about in previous episodes, maybe the issue isn't that you have a toxic work environment, but that you haven't set good boundaries. That's a possibility too. But specifically this episode, I really want to go into trauma. And how past trauma and the stories we tell ourselves really impact our perception of our jobs, no matter where you are, no matter if you end up in this great resignation, getting a job that pays double what you make now. Great. That's amazing. But you still have to be hyper aware of the narrative that you tell yourself, your self-talk, and how it's impacting how you perceive everything, how it even impacts your negotiation of what your new job would be if you do decide to switch careers. Now, as you probably already know, and if you haven't listened to the podcast before, you're going to learn out. I explain everything by telling personal stories. It is the best way for me to connect and for me to make it feel real and understand that I'm not saying this to like put anybody on blast or do anything like that. I'm doing this and I'm explaining these things because I know that there are going to be listeners who are going to see themselves in these stories. And maybe something that I share is going to pique something for you. It's going to make something click or you're going to have an aha moment. So yes, it's all very personal you know, experiences of mine, but my hope and my prayer is that that actually helps you more than me just talking in theory and in generalities, okay? I have been on this journey to understand myself and the reason I do things for years now. It's been an ongoing process that has involved 
therapy. It has involved support groups and it has involved even coaching to kind of bring it all together for me career wise. I've known for a long time or I had known for a long time that I wanted to kind of delve into the reason I did things and to understand it on a deeper level. But it was it's definitely been a bit of a process because I'm very much somebody who's always busy and it was very easy to delay therapy appointments or cancel appointments or put things off or only create space to do this work in little bits and pieces here and there. And yes, the end result ended up, you know, helping a lot, but it's been a pretty drawn out process. And I'll get to why I'm explaining that later and why I think it helps to really have a container for doing this work consistently. But one of the things that I'd been doing, and I didn't even realize it was an exercise in this, is writing letters to my younger self. And I'm reading a book right now, which is amazing, called How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicola LaPerla. It's all about understanding yourself, journaling through things, looking at one of the things she talks about is inner child messaging. And it's what are the situations and the experiences we go through as children that we then live out those narratives and we then allow our ego to create messages about those experiences and what it says about us. One thing that was very deep-seated for a very long time for me was, or one of my inner child messages was, I'm not enough. Now, I have written letters to my younger self, my younger Rosanna, and, and said, you know, it's okay. I understand you're scared. But really, in preparation for this episode, when I put all the pieces together and looked at it, it was like, oh, my gosh, this narrative, I'm not enough, has played out in so many ways, so many ways. Now, for me, the I'm not enough or it's all my fault, that's another one that they kind of went hand in hand, came from just really situ the situation at hand, you know, with, with the mental illness and how it impacted our family. I took things that were said to mean things that they were not intended to mean. One of the ones that was really big for me, though it's my fault, uh, was thinking that somehow I caused my family members mental illness, that somehow I had something to do with it. My presence was the reason that person was mentally ill. And as I say it, it's heartbreaking because I know that was not true. I know anybody in the family would have been quick to tell me that because I never verbalized that. It was just something that I always thought. I remember thinking, oh, this is this is because of me in a negative way. I always had this issue with apologizing. I would always apologize and it would annoy the crap out of people. And I was always kind of jumpy and very like, you know, scared, loud noise would scare me. Uh, I was very sensitive. <laughs> Apparently there was a lot of anxiety going on that was undiagnosed. I lay, I understand now, but didn't know. So I would just always apologize. It didn't matter what it was, I would apologize because I didn't know what was mine to apologize for and what wasn't because as a child, you can't discern that. And Unfortunately, nobody understood or knew how all of this was working together, whether it was my parents, whether it was extended family, nobody knew. So it just looked that I was overly sensitive and way too timid, like in a, in almost um, like she's not going to do well as an adult way. She can't handle rejection type of way um, in, in life in general. And it was just because I didn't know how to process everything that was happening. And I was taking on responsibility for things that were just not mine to take on. Uh, that I can see that very clearly as an adult, 
But what I did not see as clearly as an adult is how that narrative of it's my fault. And also the other part of it was, you know, I didn't act out as a child. I didn't act up in school. One of the things that was really important to both my parents were was getting good grades. And I figured out really quick, not even just with my parents, you know, if I did well enough, then I would get attention. I would get positive attention and I would I would, you know, get congratulations, just all the attention that I really wanted. And that was something that was very important to me. It was, okay, if I, if I do good enough, if I do well enough, excuse me, then um, I'm going to be loved. I'm going to be accepted. And then when I didn't consistently do well enough, I didn't get the perfect grades. Again, this, I'm not enough. No matter how hard I try, I am not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And then you throw in the weight thing that was also happening during all this. I'm not skinny enough. So the baseline is it's my fault and I'm not enough. Now, that means that a lot of times you end up trying to earn your love. um, And that doesn't just go with relationships. It doesn't just go with personal relationships or romantic relationships. It goes at work too. And I... I really struggled with believing that if I didn't, if I wasn't perfect at work, if I didn't do everything perfectly, then surely it was all my fault that I hadn't done well enough. And also, I don't know that it really helped the situation that I was in a position where there was opportunity to bonus. So our, we didn't really have the same ability. Well, I didn't think we did to negotiate our salaries, our base salaries, Because the thought being, well, if you do well enough, you'll bonus. And it's interesting to me that I ended up in that sort of an income situation opportunity. It it is for a lot of people. And stayed in it even when I was struggling and could not pay my bills because it kind of fulfilled this narrative, right? The ego, when it's decided something about ourselves, will seek out ways to prove it. It wasn't a lack of effort. It wasn't a lack of evenings in the field. But I almost got a thrill out of, well, I didn't bonus because I didn't work hard enough. I didn't put in enough hours. I didn't do enough. If I were enough, I would be making what I want to make. And I cannot leave. I cannot try to do anything else because I'm not even good enough at this. What else would I be good at? This It was just a very toxic self-talk pattern. And it festered for years, years. I didn't know, like I said earlier, that um, there. I think there were people who negotiated their salaries. I did not. I took what I was offered and was like, okay, well, if this is what I'm given, then this is what's fair. And I'm going to prove myself. This is a great opportunity. Like if I work hard enough, and this is when I became a manager, if I work hard enough and do well enough, then I will make the money I want to make. Like there's it's a given. And my first year as a manager, actually not my first, my second year as a manager when I lived in um, Boston, I I actually did do pretty well. I ended up being the number three manager um, for the country that year. And still had that narrative. Still had the, okay, now I have to, that wasn't enough. It got to a point where at winter, I don't remember what year it was, um, but I was not bonusing regularly. My territory um, was not doing as well as it had the previous years. And um, it got really dire for me financially. I was 
initially I had started driving for Lyft. The first time was to save up for my 30th birthday. I wanted to actually go somewhere. I wanted to go on a trip. Um, but then I kept driving just, oh, it's nice. It makes extra money and I'll pay off debt even faster. And then once my bonuses are coming in, I, it's just going to be money on money. But then the bonuses stopped. And then I realized that what I was getting paid base was very difficult to live off of in New England. Now, to put perspective on this, I grew up in the South and I knew that the cost of living was higher up here, but you can look at all of the cost comparisons, which I did, and it doesn't really make a difference until you're in it and you're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. So, and I still... I didn't say that I was having any problems because I was embarrassed because I assumed, well, if if I'm not bonusing, this is obviously my fault. It's because I'm not a good enough manager. It didn't even occur to me to ask for more money even as I was struggling because I thought, no, no, no. If I do, if I work harder, if I do more, then I will. I will. So I was I was at every event I could go to. I had the groups that I would go see in the mornings and then I had the groups I would go see in the evenings. Like, and I don't have a family, so who cares if I'm out on the road every night? And yet nothing was really breaking and it was pretty exhausting. And I was still having to drive Lyft on weekends. And when it really got bad is two things happened. One, we had a cold snap in Boston as happens. And I think it was like November. And I really wanted to get, I don't remember if I had oil or gas, but the point is I couldn't afford to get my tank filled because I didn't, I didn't have the money and I didn't, I don't think I had the money even available on credit. Like I I just didn't have the money. So I was just cold that whole week. Like I, I couldn't afford heat. And then I there was some event or some rally that I attended for work and it was um this rally for I believe it was hotel workers and it was they were saying you know one job should be enough and I was sitting there like <laughs> as I can't pay my heat and I've been with this company at that point over a decade thinking I know I don't have anything to compare this to but I feel like after putting in a decade and relocating twice like I should I should be able to pay my my heat bill one one job isn't enough for me. And I was really struggling. And I, I get like almost, I get a little emotional even talking about it because there was still this thought, well, well, if you were doing more, if you were trying harder, if you were a better closer, you wouldn't be in this situation. This is your fault. And God bless friends who put things in perspective because it didn't occur to me to ask for a raise. I just decided, you know what? It's I'm not good at this. I'm just not good at this job. That is why I have to live like this. So I'm just going to get another job. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to get another job. So I started looking and I was I called one of my friends who also worked for the same company and I told her and I said, "You know, I'm just I can't do this. I can't afford to live like this." And I I it's my fault, but I don't know what else I could be doing, you know? And she asked me what I made. And I told her and there was just silence. And she said, you should really ask for a raise. You should ask for a raise. And I said, but I don't know if I can. She goes, well, listen, if you're already planning on leaving, like you really have nothing to lose in asking for one. And I thought, okay, all right. And she didn't tell me what she made, but I did end up finding out another person that I was friends with lived in an area with a much, much lower 
uh, cost of living and had become a manager within a year of me and was making more than me. And I'd had better results to that point. And I thought, oh, well, that doesn't. But I thought if if they offered me this, then it was that's what I had to take. And it's my fault. And it was just like this. Maybe I'm not. Maybe this isn't the the truth. And so I got I got a raise and um, that made it a little better for a while. But then there was still this. I got to be honest. It 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 hurt. I was hurt, even though I have to take accountability in my situation and the fact that I hadn't asked, the fact that I hadn't even told my director that I was going through all this, it hurt. And I couldn't quite forget it. As I was preparing for this episode, I was thinking of like, where does that come from? Okay, fine. I'm not enough. But where does that level of shame come from? Where did that come from? And I was I was thinking and journaling, and I realized when there was this situation in middle school, and I remember it was sixth grade because um, we my parents were moving from an apartment to our our house. We were gonna we we're getting a home, and I remember when my parents were talking about this new house and how much our mortgage was actually going to be less than we were paying in rent, and I just. I remember being in a classroom with a girl that I had been friends with and she was friends with a lot of the popular kids. And I know some people like to pretend like they didn't have cliques at their school and there wasn't a popular crowd. There was one at mine. I was hyper aware of it and hyper aware of the fact that it didn't seem like those girls really liked me very much. They weren't overtly mean. I was never bullied, but they just couldn't be bothered with me. And so this friend that I'd had um, actually we were, we'd been friends in fifth grade. She was friends with these popular girls and we're in this class and they're talking and I just want to be a part of the conversation. So I, I interrupt or interject and I'm like, can you believe, you know, our, we're about to buy a house. Can you believe that the rent at where we live now is X amount more than what we're going to pay in our mortgage? So I don't know if you've ever tried to talk about finances with sixth graders, but they don't care. And sixth grade girls are just going to look at you like you're an idiot when you try to connect about bills because they didn't have to worry about that. Or maybe they did and they'd already figured this out, that you don't talk about that stuff. That's not something that you chat about in between or during classes and free time. But I, I thought you talked about that's how you connect. It was not. And I just remember the looks on their faces of, um... Okay, we don't care. And knowing, oh, okay, this was this was bad. Fast forward a year later in seventh grade, I was talking with a friend, a mutual a friend, and she was talking about someone that we know, an acquaintance, called her and said, hey, I know that you were going to come over and we were going to have a sleepover this Friday, but my mom said we can't because we don't have enough money this week. Like, we don't have enough money for food for you to come over. And this friend of mine was saying, like, who says that? Like, why would you talk, like, why would you tell me that? And I remember thinking, oh, she's she didn't know. She hasn't figured it out that we're not supposed to talk about that stuff. You hide that stuff. You have shame about that stuff. And that stuck with me for so long. That shame of it's my fault. I'm not enough. I cannot be open about my struggles because you are going to shame me about it. 
to the point where I would go above and beyond to not have to be in a position to talk about how much money I didn't have, where even once I started to have a little disposable income in my mid to late, well, let's go late 20s. Um, if if I was with a friend and we went out to eat and the bill came, I would I would always offer to pay. Regardless of whether I could technically afford it, I would offer to pay just because I didn't want the weirdness of if they offer to pay, because then I would feel like, oh God, they're offering to pay because they know I can't afford it. And uh, how how embarrassing is that? I don't want them. So I would just, I would offer to pay. if I As soon as I had like the smallest amount of money that should have been going in savings, should have been going for something other than me operating out of shame and wanting to not be the poor girl, not wanting to be the broke girl. So you fast forward, do you know how hard it was to have that conversation about a raise with this having so much shame about driving for Lyft, about not being able to afford heat? And I, at that point, was 32, 32 years old and feeling like, oh, I think I should, I think I should be mad that I'm in this situation, but I'm also incredibly embarrassed that I'm in this situation. And I want you to understand there were a lot of experiences that told me the opposite of this, that I was valuable, that I was worthy, all of that. But the crazy thing about our egos and the nasty, insidious thing about our egos is it's always looking to prove our thoughts about ourselves. And if your baseline thoughts are, I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable, I should be ashamed of my situation, and it's all my fault, then you're going to remember the, the experiences that prove that, that align with that. And it's almost going to be like there's a spotlight on those and everything else, all of the other messages that say otherwise are in the dark. But the one that affirms that horrible narrative about yourself is in the spotlight time and time again. I was in my 20s. I was working in Gainesville that day. And I was at my last stop. After that, I was going to get on the road and my car broke down and wouldn't start. Ended up being a battery issue, uh, which is really not that expensive as far as car repairs go. But when you are broker than a joke, it was very hard. And I'm at the dealership or I'm at the Sears, not a dealership, it was a Sears to get the battery fixed. And I didn't have enough money in my on my debit card or my credit card to pay for it. So I called my parents. They had a little bit of room on theirs. So this was going to have to be split up over three cards. Now, I tell the man that I have to split the payment up. And he's like, okay, that's fine. But when, and I pull out the first two cards, okay, okay. And he goes, okay, well, there's still more left. And I said, okay, I have a third card. And he was like, you can't pay for this. You don't, you can't pay for this on two cards. And I'm, I'm like shaking. And I said, no, no, I, I have, I have to have a third card. What, how can you not pay for this? What, I don't know that we can do that. And just so aggressive. And I just started crying because what, what do you want from me? Like, I don't have the money. And, and there are other examples, again, that reinforce that shame and the guilt that I didn't make more, that it must be because I'm not good enough at my job or I'm not good enough, period. But what ended up happening is, you know, I got my raise, fast forward, come back to more, you know, a few years ago, I get my raise and things don't magically change, but at least financially, I'm not in the same position. And we have this big meeting um, where our home office is. And 
our bonus structure had changed. It didn't seem very fair. I don't know how we're going to make it. Thank God I got the raise when I did because I would be screwed on my base salary. And we're they're talking or we're, we're in a meeting and are basically they're doubling down. They're like, we're not going to change the bonus structure. Ain't nothing changing because we're not getting the results that we want out of you. And that's, that's, that's typical like company talk, man. Like that is what it is. I don't know many companies that would say differently, but what got me was when someone said, you know, no PR person has ever worked a 40 hour week. And I remember as he was saying that, I don't know what he said after that because Different scenes started flashing before me. The scene where I remember the time that I didn't talk about this this time, but I the time that I had scraped together enough change to get to a meeting in Daytona, but I didn't have enough money to get home. So I went to this meeting, it was like seven o'clock at night, did my presentation. The way our system worked was, you know, if a group signed, it didn't happen typically. And even if it did, you wouldn't get your bonus um, for at that time, I think it was like an, uh, until the next month. So I, I knew if I, it didn't matter how well the meeting went that night, I was not going to make money that night, right? But I went to the meeting, got as far back as I could, found a CVS that was close to a gas station because I knew that um, I was getting paid the next day. This was a Thursday. I was getting paid Friday. And because I was broke as a joke, I knew that the money hit my account at 5 a.m. sharp because when you need that money every month or every month, every other week, you know what time that money is in your account. So I thought, you know what? No big deal. I'll just sleep in my car. And then as soon as the money hits my account the next morning, I can I can drive the rest of the way home, shower, and then do my work day as normal. Um, and, and I did. I slept in my car. A police officer came by, told me, ma'am, you can't stay here. And I was, was I, I totally understand, sir. I, I get it. But you know what? I don't have enough money to get home. But don't worry. I have just enough money in, or I have enough gas in my tank. And I get paid at 5 a.m. tomorrow. As soon as this turns 5, I can even leave a couple minutes before 5. Um, I can go down to the gas station and fill up my tank. And he just looked at me and he said, I'll keep coming back and checking on you. And he did. Every hour, that police officer came back and checked on me to make sure I was okay. And I'm so grateful to that man because there was absolutely an opportunity where he could have shamed me as well. And he did not. And so when my CEO says no PR person has ever worked a 40-hour week. I'm thinking of these experiences. I'm thinking of the year previous where I didn't have money to get heat for my house. And I thought, you have no idea the sacrifices that I have made to stay here. You have no idea the times that I have put you before I put myself because I didn't think I was worth anything more. I didn't think I could ask for more. And after the meeting, I told my friend, the same one who had told me to ask for a raise, I told her, I said, I'm done. No. If that's his impression of us, I'm, I, what? No. And she was like, I don't think, she was like, I think there's something more here because I didn't take that personally offensively because I know I work more than 40 hours. You know you work more than 40 hours a week. If you know it, then it doesn't bother you. That's not directed at you. And I and I said, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. And she's right. Because here's the thing. And maybe you noticed or picked up on this right away. But 
Nothing about the experiences I went through, whether it was sleeping in my car, being shamed for not being able to afford a battery, even paying, not being able to pay for my heat, none of that had anything to do with a 40-hour work week. But in that moment, when that comment was made, I projected all that shame, all that resentment, all that fear, all of these horrible thoughts onto him and this comment and made that the issue when that really was not the issue. The issue all along was my own self-talk. It was not anybody else's external validation because in that moment, I felt like I wasn't being seen. I wasn't being heard. All of my sacrifices weren't being seen when that was not what that was about. And the irony of what I did not understand then is it didn't matter how many people did acknowledge all of my sacrifices and all of my work. If I wasn't seeing it in myself, if I still had this underlying narrative that I'm not enough, I will never be enough, it's all for naught. Nothing that anybody could have said would have made it better because I was always going to be stuck with myself and my own thoughts until I changed them and rooted them out. But what I do know is I'm grateful for it because I it's not that I hadn't thought and considered leaving before because I wanted to pursue something else. I just w- didn't know what, but I needed that kick. I needed that kick in the butt. And I... I what I want to explain, though, and and to bring this full circle as to why, what does any of this have to do with the great resignation? Just because you have decided that you're not going to, you, you don't want to be where you're at, doesn't mean that all of a sudden your self-talk changes. And I found that out when I changed careers. At first, it was great and fun and wonderful, and this is such a nice experience, And then the same thoughts of, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified to do this job. This is hard to me because I'm not smart enough. I'm not, the I'm not enough started to come back. And at that point is when I started to think, maybe this isn't just about the job. Maybe this has more to do with what I'm saying to myself, what I think about myself. And I say all this because, I think this happens a lot where we think that when we are going to change a particular situation, that everything else is going to magically get better. And it doesn't because you're still taking your baggage with you to wherever you go. But you know what has made all the difference for me in changing the self-talk, in being able to see all of this as, as in it's not true, to see these as lies about myself, was to do consistent work, was to make sure that I was prioritizing time to really look into why do I think this? Where is this coming from? That's what makes the difference. Because here's the thing, it doesn't matter what you do, whether it's, okay, for me, um, one of the things, and I've mentioned this before, one of my leaps of faith was starting the podcast that I've always wanted to. Uh, For some people, it might be starting a, a new job or becoming an entrepreneur. Here's the thing. You can be given every strategy to do something. You can buy all the programs with all the modules to improve your strategy. But if you are not getting to the root of why you have these nasty, insidious thoughts about yourself that prevent you from actually doing the things that you say you want to do, it's not going to do any good. 
You're just going to have a whole bunch of programs and a whole bunch of modules or a whole bunch of books sitting there collecting dust. And you're still in the same cycle. This is also part of the reason that I recently decided I wanted to coach. It didn't actually have anything to do with a great resignation, although I think it's perfectly timed. But I want to coach people going through the same thing that I did. And I also know that doing it in a situation where it's 12 weeks and there's hour-long accountability every week that you have already committed to means that what has taken me two years to understand and realize, you can do in a much shorter amount of time if you allow space to do the work, to look at what are things that I have been through. And I'm going to tell you, like, we're going to be talking trauma in these these 12 weeks because that is where all of your self-talk comes from. Your past experiences come from things that you experienced as a child, even as an adult, whether it's shame or whatever it may be, that you allow to dictate your value and your worth. And I want to help other people so that whether it's you do go through a res- with a resignation or you decide after this 12 weeks, wow, maybe the issue hasn't been my employer, but what I am asking for and allowing. And I want to help people because I wish that I had that consistency to have that time that you set aside for yourself to look at what do I want? Do I want another job or do I actually want to go out and do this thing that I've been thinking about for years in the back of my mind and occasionally daydreaming about? So this is as much coaching to help with your career and your self-talk as it is to figure out what exactly is your life purpose so that you can pursue it. And you're not going to let your own self-talk get in the way while doing so. The reason offering this coaching right now is so important to me is because I wish I'd had it when I was making that career shift. I wish that I'd had a container for the consistency. I understand now so much more than I did before the impact of having a coach, the impact of having the accountability on a consistent basis. And if I was able to see these things in myself and make the gradual changes that I was, I had luckily wonderful friends that would give me little glimmers of hope. But then when the next day I would just go back to doing my own thing and my own thoughts and getting me the same results that they had for years previous. And I have seen firsthand because I have a coach, I've had a coach the impact of that hour a week, what that can do for you and the transformation that comes from it. Because let me tell you, I this is a promise. So if you want to work together or you have questions, I understand you might have questions, reach out to me. You can DM me. You can email me, rosanna at breakinglabelspodcast.com. And I can't wait to hear other people's stories like this. I can't wait for other people to make these connections about these realizations about how their own self-talk has been their biggest barrier. I hope that in sharing these stories, because some of these were, as you probably could tell, a little emotional and a little raw, but I hope that it sparked something for you. And it gave you some aha moment. And at least if nothing else, you are going to walk away from this episode. You're going to second guess 
when you catch yourself saying some crappy stuff to yourself or when you notice yourself accepting behavior that you don't consciously want and you don't want to deal with. And that goes whether it's in your career, your friendships, your family relationships, your romantic relationships. I genuinely hope that one of the things I talked about today will help you. And if for no other reason, then you'll see, well, I don't want to think about myself like she did because it sure as heck didn't do her any good because you're right. It didn't. Thinking crappy thoughts about ourselves never does anybody any good. So I'd love to hear from you either way, whether you are interested in coaching or you just want to share your aha moment, reach out to me at Rosanna at breakinglabelspodcast.com. If you like this episode, then I would really appreciate if you leave a written review. Let me know what it is about this podcast that you like. And if not, regardless, I can't wait to see you next week. Thank you 